بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد الحمد لله We woke up today and we can still see, we can still hear, our mind is still intact. You know, sometimes we go through life, last week we did some exercises where, and I'm, I'm not sure who had a chance to go through that journal. Anybody downloaded it? Anybody got a chance to fill it in on any of the days? Yes, no? No, no entries. No? Okay, that's fine. It's normal, it happens. Um, anybody got a chance to even think about what we were discussing more in the week? Yeah? Any reflections, anything you would want to share? How did it impact you? What difference did it make? Did you see things in a different light? Yeah? Okay, mashallah. Anything else? Any kind of inspiration? Anything you felt different from then? Alhamdulillah. So that's, that's a great move in the right direction. To open your wardrobe and feel gratitude and appreciate Allah's favors. Alhamdulillah, that's good. And that's something we can all learn and introduce if we're not already doing so. Anything else? MashaAllah, that's, that's amazing. We need to sometimes see the other side and that's what the Prophet Sallallahu said. When it comes to worldly matters, look at those who have less than you. It allows you to appreciate what you have. Do you know sometimes we go in life and things become really kind of, we go into a very low mood things aren't working out, you just don't feel like doing anything. And at that time, you know, you approach a person and say, be grateful. Look at all these things. And even then, we've, we've all been through it. We've all been through it. We might feel bad about it now. But in that moment, when somebody tells you, or even you think about it, it doesn't resonate with you. It's like putting nice food in front of a sick person, right? When you're feeling in the lowest, a lot of times when people say, appreciate what you've got, right? And, or look around you and it, it, it doesn't sometimes you, you can't see that although it's all there in front of you so another approach that we can have because sometimes when you sit down to write down things that you appreciate today if you're not having the best day or if your mood isn't brilliant you're feeling quite low then what's gonna happen is even though there are thousands and millions of things in front of you that you could be appreciative of you won't go towards that and your mind will keep going towards the things that you don't have and you lack so one of the ways to do this is think of things that Allah's protected you from calamities that you're not facing right now because that's a huge blessing as well um, a few days ago uh, Mufti Javid Saab sent me um, a, a little image and on there it said that the fact that we leave our houses and go back home safely, securely. You know, isn't that a huge blessing in itself? Something we should appreciate. We underestimate the fact that we leave our homes. Right? Many people in the world, they leave their homes. They don't know if they'll get back home. So leaving your home, having a home first of all, but be able to leave the home and get back to it. Okay, in the evening, in the afternoon, or after the event. That's a huge thing in itself. So another way of looking at it is at times when you can't think of things to be grateful for, just think of things that Allah's protected you from. Like we woken up in the morning, right? We see the weather and you think, Alhamdulillah, we don't have blizzards. This countries, right? Like by, by this time of the year, there's like snow this high. They can't get out of the house. It's very, very difficult. Alhamdulillah, we don't have that. Alhamdulillah, there are many people that can't see, that can't hear. Many people who don't have Iman, Allah's protected me from this, Allah's protected me from that. At least I'm not in this situation. So this is also another way of thinking as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us. So we were, we've been speaking on the topic of, who can remind us? Filtering. 
And what is filtering? What's filtering? So when we filter, we let all the good away and we leave just the bad. And by having this kind of uh, outlook in life, whether it's regarding circumstances or events that happen with us, so something's taken place, right? An event's happened, okay? Either a personal thing, something's happened to me. Something's happened to me, right? If I have a filter, what will happen is in that case, I will take away any good regarding myself, for example, and I will just leave the bad. And I'll come to a conclusion where, hmm, this has happened, it keeps happening to me. I must be a bad person. Maybe Allah does not like me. Maybe Allah is not happy with me. I'm just a loser. I'm going to give up. And that's what happens. And this is very, very normal. Okay. Sometimes the filter is in regards to other people. Okay. The way we interact with other people, maybe family members, maybe colleagues, maybe people in the community or just general. Sometimes we have this. Sometimes we develop this with a lot of people in general where we'll remove all the good. We won't see any good in someone and only the bad will remain. And this leads to developing a certain type of bias. And when we have this kind of unhealthy thinking patterns, it leads us to take unhealthy actions as well, which are not good. And these actions then become repetitive. We keep falling into situations which are not good for us and it becomes repetitive. Then there's a pattern. There's a pattern. It keeps happening. And we've spoken about various things that we can do over the last few weeks. Today we're going to speak about something a little bit different. And it's on the same lines, but to understand one of the other reasons why this could happen. Why are we seeing repetitive patterns in our lives? We're focusing more today on relationships. Um, in our relation, and relationship doesn't just mean family. It doesn't just mean friends. It could be relationships because People are involved in almost everything we do. You go to work, for example, okay? There you, there's a relationship there as well, isn't there? With whoever your boss is, whoever your colleagues are. So we're not just talking about being social, meaning with family and friends. It, this is every aspect of life when you're not alone, right? And this is something which a lot of us are probably facing now, or we've experienced this to a certain level. Some people have then contributed to this more and it affects them much more without them realizing subconsciously. And that's why it's very important to address this issue. So there's a process called transference. What's it called? Transference. And what that means is that you act subconsciously with another person. You act subconsciously with another person in a certain way because they remind you of somebody else. So what we're speaking about today? Transference. And that means that you act with a person in a certain way. Why? Because they remind you of somebody else. Because of some experience that you've had before, an experience you've had before, this person reminds you of somebody else. So you act with them because of that person in your past. Now I'll give you a couple of examples. Imagine you've gone out to eat. You've gone to a restaurant. Okay, you're ordering food and the waiter or the waitress comes. Now when this waiter or waitress comes to take your order, can I take your order please? When you hear that voice, that reminds you of maybe someone from your school or someone from your college. Okay, when you were growing up, maybe someone at primary school, maybe the voice is very similar of an elder student, for example. Or maybe the way they look is quite similar. Now, you don't really know this is going on. So that voice has gone into your ear and it's brought you back some kind of memory of maybe what? When you were bullied in school or someone you didn't like. Now, automatically what happens? Everyone's placing their order. And you start getting aggressive with this waiter or this waitress. How long is it going to be? Why are you taking so long? Give me the menu at least. Well, what's this? You've given two menus. There's five of us. Can't you see? 
Like, this is unwarranted anger. Why are you getting all frustrated? Nothing's happened. No one said anything to you. This is transference because now I'm dealing with this individual because he or she reminds me of somebody else. Right? And we face this a lot in our life without realizing. And this is one of the reasons why we have this repetitive behavior which lands us in some kind of a mess. And then we start thinking, oh, there must be something wrong with me. It's me. I'm the problem. There's something wrong with me. Why does this keep happening? Why do I keep, you know, ending up in this bad situation? I'm just going to give up. Maybe Allah doesn't like me. And we come to this kind of conclusion. And it's quite paralyzing. Um, it could happen with, for example, you've gone into a store um, and you're, you're, you've gone to pay for your items. And it's the cashier, for example. Cashier is doing a fine job. Right, but you start getting frustrated at the cashier. Why? Because he or she reminds you of, you know, one of your aunties, for example, who was very horrible to you. Right, and it, 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 she's just got that look, or maybe it's the same name. Right, you look at the name, and it's the same name. This is transference. You start behaving with somebody else because they remind you of somebody else or from your past. Um, a very common one is at work. You're at work and your boss, okay? Your boss, for example, um, tells you to do something. Or your boss might be, yeah, telling you to do something which you don't really want to do. And you kind of go against it. You kind of respond back. And why? Because maybe he reminds you of your own father, right? Maybe your father was very authoritative. He was like bossing you around, telling you what to do, what not to do. And that's the relationship you had. And this is what happened. So then what happens is a person starts acting very differently because of which you end up in trouble. You end up in a mess. Is everyone following? Yeah. Any other examples you can think of? Has, has there anyone been in this situation before? Maybe you didn't think of it. Maybe you didn't think of it at the time. Yeah. Yeah, so you could use it there as well with, with race. It happens. And you've had an, had an experience once with someone else. And then that's every each time you're coming across that individual or that situation, it's making you do, you're, you're basically contributing to it by acting in a certain way. And that's not healthy for you. And then what happens is in your mind, you blame the opposite person. But in reality, it's you who started it. I'll give you an example. It's a, it's a very personal thing. Um, it might give you a bit of an idea to understand it better. So. Many years ago, I was, I was an imam in one of the masjids. And what used to happen is, in that particular place, I was more active than I am now, in the sense that we had a lot of things going on. Uh, we had something on Monday, we had Quran Tafsir on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday we had Arabic lessons, on a Thursday we had Durush Sharif, Friday was Duma anyway. Weekends we'd have women's programs, Sundays we'd have youth tarbiyah workshops, and there's so much going on, right? And it was constantly like, it's as if your life becomes a masjid, right? Constantly from here to there, here to there, here to there. You've got your normal salah. So I was leading the salah as well. And then doing the madrasa as well. And then all of these things. And there was a huge project going on as well. So you're kind of like all together tied in. One of the times, whilst I was imam at that particular masjid, one of the times what happened, not once, a few times, but this one occasion really stands out for me, is I got called by the committee, well, one person from the committee saying, we want to have a meeting with you. I said, okay, this is the time, this is the place. So I arrived, walked into the room, and literally we were sitting like this. Do you know how we're sitting now? This is how we were sitting. I sat down and I, I, I sat down and I counted. I, in my mind, I was going, one, two, three, four, I counted nine people. Besides me, there were nine people, right? And there was all of all nine of them were committee members, right? And there was just me there alone in my early twenties. Not that I'm that old now, but 
Um, so I'm sitting there and they've all got there, like they're all there. Now, the person who told me to come to this particular meeting, he goes to me, um, now this is, the, this is the question he posed to me. And this is the only thing he said. Now, I had no clue of why I was attending. I've been asked or summoned, okay, to this particular meeting. So this is committee member sitting there. He goes to me, what have you done for this masjid? This is the question he said. What have you ever done for this masjid? And I was speechless. Like, I didn't know what to say. He said, what have you ever done for this masjid? And I thought, what kind of question is this? Like, how do I even answer it? What, what do I start listing every single thing I've done? I mean, it's very clear. You can see exactly what's happening. And on a side note, all of the other activities besides the Salah and the Madrasa, it was all voluntary. It was that they had not said to do any of the rest of it. And there was so much going on. Alhamdulillah. But like, how do you address this situation? What would you say? So the guy goes to me, what have you ever done for this masjid? And he goes, you've never done a single thing here. And like, that is, it's like someone just tearing you apart to pieces, shredding you to bits in the presence of nine people, right? Who all could have spoken up, could have said something. No one said a word. Even people you trusted, you relied on, you thought that, you know, maybe this guy will have my back. Maybe this guy's going to speak up. Maybe this person will say, look, hang on, you're being very unfair here. Um, no one said a word, not a single word. And I had to just sit there throughout the whole thing and just listen to this. Um, I'd call it abuse, right? I just had to sit there and listen to it. And it just, the guy just went on and on about the same kind of thing. And there was no way of addressing it. There was no way of dealing with it. And this kind of continued. And he'd, he'd kind of make the same comments and the same kind of remarks. Anyhow, at that time I didn't realize. But later on, because of this particular incident, from that day onwards, whenever I came across any committee member from any masjid, regardless which masjid it was, automatically I'll feel this resentment. And I just developed this thinking about committee members. That committee members are monsters. They're like dragons. They're just out there to get you. They're unfair and they're just rude. Right? Otherwise, <laughs> run in. Okay? This is, I'm being very honest, I'm telling you about me. Okay? This is what happened. I came up, if it was from the masjid I was in or any place I went after that as well, every place I went after that as well, anyone I faced, like, I would have. I would be very right because of that traumatic experience that I had not once but on many occasions mainly from one individual whenever anybody would come and I would know that they're a committee member I'd be like right okay I that's what would come to my mind subconsciously and then what would happen is I would probably end up saying something or doing something and it would come across as aggressive. It would come across as harsh. And then they would respond accordingly. And then it'd be like a tip for that kind of thing. And then you think, right, okay, you go your way, I'll go my way. That's the end of it. And this happened for some time until I had a chance to think and ponder and reflect what's going on and to dissect it all and to work backwards and to think, hang on a second, okay? That individual is that individual. What he did is what he did. Not all the committee members aren't the same. I remember the first time I came to this masjid, right, one of the first times, right, and it brought me a flashback of that incident. It was prior to Ramadan, and the committee members here, they, they wanted us to do etikaf here. So they'd arranged the meeting, and it was right here in this, in this masjid, in this Jamaat Khan. I walked in, and it was exactly the same scenario. I think Rashid Bai was there as well at the time. Um, Adil Bai was definitely there and some others were there. And we sat here and in my mind, it was like a playback of what had happened prior. 
not once, but may, I'd seen these meetings. I knew what happened when an imam's called into a meeting. I've seen this happen so many times. I've seen it play out. And I've been a person involved in it and affected by it. And also, I'd want to say one thing. After having those experiences, it led me to this conclusion. It was so bad. That I, I don't, I'm not here to ask for your sympathy. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm giving, trying to give you an understanding of how this works. It was so bad that I made a decision that from today onwards, I am never going to work with any masjid. Anything to do with masjids, committee members, I'm never going to get involved. Never ever. And I took a different path altogether. I thought, never again. This is just too difficult to deal with. It's too traumatic. And it just messes you up psychologically. It just takes you to a place and you can't really speak to anybody about it. And I don't think I've ever spoken openly about it. It's the first time, but just because this topic has come up. Um, so this is, this is the conclusion I came to. Now, many years later, I remember we walked into here, we're sitting down, brothers were here, and it brought me a flashback of, I thought, oh no, not this again. I'm, I'm so used to seeing this kind of scenario. Um, so I thought, right, I'll let them do the speaking, see what they've got to say. So they go, okay, um, Ramadan's coming up. We want you guys to do etikaf here. I thought, okay. Um, and I, I was waiting for it. I was thinking, any, any second now, it's going to come, it's going to come, it's going to come. But this was quite different, really, because I'd never heard anything like this before. So they explained everything. This is what we're trying to look for. This is what we want to achieve. So I was waiting to see what, what comes next. What's the demand? And the question that was posed to me, which knocked me off, like, totally, because I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting something else altogether. And the question that they pose is, how can we help you? This is what they said. How can we help you? As opposed to the other way around. Right? And I was lost for words. Because I'd never heard that before. Not to say that doesn't happen in other places. But because of that one incident that I had. I was kind of applying that and using that everywhere I went. Anytime I faced a committee member. I'd remember that incident. This is called transference. Can you see? And it, it would be unfair to deal with every single person in the same way. So one of the reasons why we find ourselves in a repetitive kind of behavior pattern, possibly, is because the people or the person we're dealing with might be reminding us of someone from our past. Think, when you were young growing up, was there anyone that had a negative impact on your emotions? Who made you very anxious? very stressed out? Was there anyone who made you kind of feel very low all the time? And they might have even moved on. They might not even be part of your life anymore. But subconsciously, sometimes we end up dealing with individuals just because they remind us that like some people might have an, a mother that's very aggressive, right? Always shouting, screaming, you know, telling you what to do and putting you down and stuff. Then such people, when they get married, their wife's British, right? That's just how British girls are. It's, not, it's, it's nothing wrong. When the Sahaba went to, from uh, Makkah to Medina, they experienced this. They just found the women of Medina were very different to the women of Makkah. The women of Makkah were kind of calm and the women of Medina would kind of answer back and they would, you know, and they found it very different. So a lot of times what happens in marriages as well, if your interaction has been only with your mother and that's how you've come across and you've only seen that, a lot of times what happens is people have that in their mind. The, okay, all women, I, if you've always seen your mom kind of answering back to your dad and being quite controlling in the house, now when you get married, in your mind you've got, okay, women are very controlling, women always answer back, women are like this, and you saw your dad dealing with your mom in a certain way, and you get married, right? Subconsciously, you might not realize, but this is what you think as well. Whereas that was a different scenario, that was a different person, this is a different person, this is a different scenario. And sometimes there's a repetition in the behavior where some people end up going through multiple incidents and exactly the same thing keeps happening. The same thing keeps happening. One of the reasons is transference. So I give you another example. What you need to do is then in that case, we need to break it down. 
and the way we break it down, we need to visualize the, the whole problem in some steps. So the first thing is, let's imagine the work scenario. In the work scenario, for example, you've gone into work, the boss asks you to do something, right? He says, can you get this done by 12 o'clock? Now you don't want to do it by 12 o'clock. He's not asking you to do something impossible. He's not asking you to do something above your pay grade or below. He's not asking you to do something that you're not supposed to. It's within your thing. But is this something you maybe you don't want to do it right now? Or you want to do it by 2 o'clock? But he's asked you, can you get this done by 12 o'clock? Now what happens is, that interaction with your boss reminds you of your father. How your father would sometimes just boss you around. That, it's just giving you flashbacks of that. So now what happens is you develop a poor attitude. And you kind of think to yourself, mm, I'm not going to do it. Okay? I'm going to do it by half twelve. Right? Can you see who's initiated this? Right? Now because you've not got done it on time, you've developed this poor attitude. Okay? What's going to happen now? You've not done it on time. Now the boss is going to act harshly with you. You acted harshly with him. He's going to act harsh. He's going to develop a poor attitude towards you. Now can you see what's happening? Because he's had a poor attitude towards you, now you're going to resent him. Look, look how he treats me. Look what he's done. He's done this on purpose to embarrass me. He's done this just so that, you know, I can get singled out. He doesn't like me anyway. He always picks on me, right? Now you're acting in a stubborn way. Now you carry on doing this, what's going to happen? You're going to resent him, okay? He's going to end up resenting you. You're going to have poor behavior, poor attitude. In the end, you're going to get fired, right? And this happened in one place. You go somewhere else, same scenario happens again. You get fired again. Go to a third place, fired again. Now you come to this conclusion, I keep losing my job. Something's wrong with me. Maybe Allah doesn't like me. And a person becomes paralyzed in your faith, in your actions. What's the point of me praying? I'm going to lose my job anyway. Whereas we have to go backwards and see, look at your behavior. When I'm interacting with people, before the interaction, during the interaction, after the interaction, are there any emotions coming up for me which are unwarranted? Sometimes we are experiencing this severe anger just coming up inside us, but there's nothing around us to make us angry. Is it because of our interaction with certain individuals and we're experiencing something called transference? It's reminding us of someone from our past. Maybe, may Allah protect us, maybe it was someone who was abusive towards you when growing up, a caregiver, for example, a caregiver, a relative, someone who was supposed to have your best interest at heart, but you went through something when you were young. And then whenever you, and I've, I've seen this on multiple occasions, where someone's been through something like this in their past, obviously they've not got over it. Maybe, apparently they have, but inside they haven't dealt with it yet. It's still there. Now, whenever they come across certain individuals who maybe dress the same, and I've seen this happen very, very clearly with certain individuals, people who dress the same or who wear the same perfume, for example, the smells, smells are, smells really make a difference. Just smelling that same kind of perfume that the, the abuser used to have. Okay, it could have happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. But just smelling that, it just changes a person altogether. So if anybody falls in this category, because what happens then is it impacts you, it's still affecting you. And it's paralyzing you from taking good action, moving forward. And a person keeps falling into the same repetitive patterns again and again. And then coming to a conclusion thinking, I must be a bad person. Things don't work out with me. Maybe Allah doesn't like me. And that's, that's where we don't want to get to. We don't want to lose hope in the mercy of Allah. So in that scenario, um, there's a couple of things we need to do. First of all is, like I said, visually put down the steps. And then look at the emotions before, during and after. And then see, what am I contributing to the transference? Transference happens. People do. People, names, places, smells will remind you of people in your past. 
which might have stabbed you in the back. Has it ever happened you've been stabbed in the back really badly, right? By someone who you kept very dear to you, very close to you, very close friend, very close associate. Many, many years you spent with this person. You thought this person's got your back, right? That's a, it's a traumatic experience. It knocks you back. Some people are a bit more resilient and some people cover it up. They're good at covering up, but it's not come out that it's still inside and it keeps flaring up now and again. And you get this burst of anger and these bursts of emotions. A lot of times it ends up coming out on people that shouldn't be really facing that. Sometimes it's the children, sometimes it's the wife, sometimes it's the people at work. And you end up being in a mess again and again. It affects you. So if I'm in this scenario, what I need to do is this. I need to look back and think, is there anyone growing up who had a negative experience, negative impact on my emotions when growing up? If so, is it impacting me now? Look at the behavior before, like when I went into work, I was fine. There was nothing wrong with me. I was perfectly fine. I was in a good mood. When I got there, I was also okay. When he walked in, that's when I started feeling different. Why? He hasn't done anything to me, really, if you think about it. I don't have any link with, ah, okay. Because the way he walks, the way he uh, carries himself, that reminds me of so-and-so uncle, okay, that did this to me in the past. And his voice is similar as well. And I keep, and I think, oh, okay, this is what it is. That's why I'm being, uh, that's unfair of me to take it out on him. So here, can you see now you can work on that? You can work on that now. How do you work on it? Now, one thing I'm going to tell you is never ever try and go to that individual and try and take all your frustration out now because that's not a good way of dealing with it. Whether it's a caregiver, whether it's a parent, sometimes it's a parent, okay, whether it's a sibling, whether it's some, someone could have passed away as well. Could have been someone. Many years ago, something could have happened, they could have passed. But that, that hurt is still there. That wound is still there. It's still present. You've not got over it. How do you deal with it? One of the most beneficial ways, most cathartic way of dealing with it, where you can release a lot of this. And remember, I'm sharing this why? Because talking is just talking. Until we don't take action, nothing's going to happen. We have to do, take the, new thoughts need to come with new actions. If we don't take the action, it's not going to work. Okay? With knowledge, we have ilm and we have amal. And we need that bridge there. It's like with anything. We can talk about loads of things. And it just becomes a fancy discussion. And it just goes into the air. It has to be coupled with action. We have to do something. And one of the most beneficial ways of dealing with this is by writing a candid letter to that individual, venting out all your frustration. So what you do, right? Imagine you had whoever it is. It could have been a caregiver in your past. It could have been an uncle. It could even be a parent. They might be alive. They might have passed away. And you feel that you've been treated unfairly. You feel they've been horrible and nasty to you. You, be, you feel you've been stabbed in the back or you've been uh, traumatized psychologically by whoever it is, right? And you, it's still inside, that hurt and the wound is still there. And you just wish you'd have been able to take it out and let them know how they made you feel. But life isn't like that. You can't just go around telling everyone how you feel. If that was the case, then you know, world would be a very different place. We don't, we just carry around inside. We don't realize that it, it is affecting us. So one of the most beneficial ways of dealing with it, or one of the ways of dealing with it is, write a very candid, straightforward letter to that person. And write down on there exactly how they made you feel, what they did to you, what you're going through, how it affected you in your life, in your health, in your experiences, in your work, in your relationships, write it all down. Maybe you don't remember everything today. That's fine. Keep that. Remember this letter isn't to be given to anyone. This is just for you. You're writing it all down. Instead of all this frustration in my head, in my body, and remember we said it's in different parts of the body because the body doesn't forget these things. Okay? 
let it all out onto this paper. Write it down. Write down everything you want to write down as much as you can. Let it all out. Take it all out onto that paper. Write it down. It could be one page. It could be five pages. And if you don't remember everything today, that's fine. Close your book. Okay. Maybe a few days later, you remember something else. So write down. Now, now write P.S. And so-and-so, mom or dad or uncle or brother or so-and-so, so-called friend. Okay. And I, I want to add this as well. This is what you did and this is how you made me feel. And this as well. Right, let it all out. If it takes a few days, if it takes a couple of weeks, it's fine. Let it all out into that paper. Write it all down. Release it. Allow it to be released. Everything. And once you've done it, once it's all done, it's all out, go and burn it. Or put it in a shredder. Or rip it to bits yourself and throw it away. I guarantee you, it'll probably be one of the best things you'll ever do for yourself. Because you're really, this, this is, it's very, very cathartic. It allows you to release all these unhealthy emotions that you've been carrying around like a big boulder on your, on your neck, on your shoulders for years and years. Right? It allows you to release it. It's a very healthy way of releasing it. It's all out, okay, and you'll be able to move on with your life. Because remember, what's happened there is a different scenario. The people that you're facing in your life today is not that person, right? And it'll allow you to work backwards and think. Just take this example and this case study that I gave you of this person at work. What's he going, when he does this, he's going to think, hang on a second. Before I go into work, I'm fine. In work, I'm okay. As soon as the boss walks in, right, I start getting these bursts of anger. He's not even said anything yet. Why? Ah, okay, this is what's happening. He's reminding me of so-and-so uncle. Okay, right. Now, what he does, he goes home, gets this letter, starts writing a letter to this uncle, okay, that was very abusive towards him, and did this and did this and, you know, made him, violated him in all different ways. Let's it all out. And then... Once that's done, goes and burns it or puts in a shredder and that's gone. And then he comes to this realization, my boss is not my enemy, okay? He's only telling me to do what I'm supposed to be doing, right? It's me who thought that this is my uncle and I was dealing in this way and I am the one who initiated it. He's not treating me any different to anybody else. Can you see now how this works, okay? We've like opened it out, but this ha it all happens really fast and it's happening constantly all the time. So this is something that we do face and this is one of the ways that we can deal with it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us all and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to reach uh, a resolution inshallah. Okay, let's have this week's lesson. Lesson number... Fifty-seven. Okay, lesson number fifty-seven. This week's question is: uh, Does the rock have any significance? Which rock are we talking about? Okay, so the rock inside the dome of the rock. Does the rock have any significance? So the most famous structure inside Masjid Al-Aqsa is the dome of the rock. Without any dispute everybody knows that's the most famous structure you can see from everywhere and if somebody doesn't know Masjid al-Aqsa they'll know the Dome of the Rock and the Dome of the Rock was commissioned by somebody called Abdul Malik ibn Marwan it was completed in around the year 72 after Hijrah so we're looking about 60 years after the Prophet so that's relatively close to the Prophet's time and it's actually the oldest standing Islamic piece of architecture in the world that's still standing the oldest because it's very close to the Prophet's time about 60 years after his time now beneath this golden dome that you see we, we should see the top but those who've been inside beneath that there's a massive rock huge rock inside okay now regarding this rock 
there are so many myths, so many fabrications, and so many stories attributed to this particular rock. So we're just trying to understand, like, these stories, these narrations, what's the status? Some people falsely claim that the rock is floating in the air. It's very common. A lot of, has anybody heard this before? You've heard it? Anybody else? You've heard it as well? Anybody else heard this? That the rock is floating. It's, it's, it's above the air. Okay, so only two people. So there are certain groups, certain areas, certain communities where this idea is very common. Uh, that the rock is floating. Both of you have been and you know it's not. Okay, so that's one thing. We know it's not. So that's, that's false. It's not floating. Um, others say that this is a rock from Jannah. It came down from Jannah. Um, some also believe that when the Prophet ﷺ ascended for Mi'raj, the rock tried to follow him. And that's why it's like more towards one side. Because the rock was trying to follow him. Um, the people of the book assume that the rock marks the center of the world. Similarly, so these are like common beliefs that people have. Similarly, there's a lot of narrations in Islamic books as well that speak about the holiness of the rock, the virtues of the rock, the significance of the rock. And there's many, many stories about the rock. But one thing we can say, the scholars have said, none, there isn't a single hadith regarding the rock that's authentic. Not even one. So we can't use any of these ahadith or stories, even though they might be found in Islamic books, to prove the holiness of the rock. You can't. Because either they're fabricated, or they're from Israeliyat, biblical narrations, or they're just, people have just made it up for whatever reason. And there's, there's different reasons why people make things up. Now, this leads us to another question. Does this now mean that the rock is now devalued and the rock doesn't have any significance? Because a lot of times when you speak like this and you're very clear, right? That look, this isn't true, this isn't sahih, this isn't authentic. People start getting a little bit agitated, thinking, oh, what if people start disrespecting? What about? No, in Sharia, we have to understand the rock doesn't belong to me. Masjid al-Aqsa doesn't belong to me. Who does it belong to? Who does it belong to? It belongs to Allah. This is Allah's place. Allah's given it a virtue and a significance. I don't need to add anything to it to make it more holier. It's already holy. And that's, we need to apply this with everything in life. Right? We need to apply this with everything. Everything's got a status. I don't need to make it sound more holier or less holier than something is. It is what it is. Leave it at that. If people accept it, fine. People don't accept it. Well, you've tried your best. There's no point of adding more things to make it sound something that it isn't. Because that's then an exaggeration. We have to be very precise when it comes to the issues of our deen. We can't add things and we don't subtract things as well. So my question is, by me saying that now, that none of the narrations regarding the rock are authentic. Does that devalue the rock now? Does it lose its significance? No, it doesn't actually. By speaking the truth regarding a matter, it doesn't devalue it. Instead, instead, it allows people to understand and appreciate that every single verse in the Quran that speaks about the virtue of Masjid Al-Aqsa, every single hadith that is authentic, that speaks about the virtue of Masjid Al-Aqsa, applies equally to the rock as well. Are we following? Why? Because the rock is part of Masjid Al-Aqsa which cannot be separated from it. It's a part of Masjid Al-Aqsa, it cannot be separated from it. Any virtue that we give to the whole of Masjid Al-Aqsa will be given to the rock as well. Any hadith that applies to show the holiness of Masjid Al-Aqsa will be applied to the rock as well. So it's a part. What greater virtue can there be than it being a part of Masjid Al-Aqsa? That's the greatest virtue. It's a part of Masjid Al-Aqsa. What greater virtue can there be? There is no need for us to add anything extra to it that's not authentic. Some of these things sound really glamorous. Okay, you read some of these narrations and think, wow. Okay, let me, let me say this to the people and people are going to go, Subhanallah. No, why would you want to do that? That's wrong. 
It's not accurate. It's not authentic. The Prophet didn't say these things. Okay, some of they might be in the books, but he didn't say them because there's no chain to prove that he said them. So we have to stay away and leave it as what it is. That's, this is how much Allah wanted us to know about it. Leave it to that. And the greatest thing, it's a rock of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Yes, in addition to that, we can say a few things regarding the rock. Number one, it's the highest point in Masjid Al-Aqsa. Okay, this is a fact. We can't deny it. It's the highest point. So where the rock is, okay, it, that's like the highest point in Masjid Al-Aqsa. Not that that means anything different, right? But it's, that it's a fact that it's the highest point in Masjid Al-Aqsa, number one. Number two, Ibn Al-Qayyim Rahmatullah tells us the rock used to be the Qibla before. Just like Saturday used to be holy, Saturday, Sabbath, used to be holy in one of the previous Sharia of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Okay, Quran speaks about it. La ta'adu fi sabt. Okay, so Allah is the one who told them to have Saturday as a holy day. So just like Saturday was holy, the rock was the Qibla. Just like now the holiness of Saturday has been taken away and given to Friday, he says the holiness of the rock has been taken, meaning, when we say holiness, meaning its Qibla status has been taken away and given to the Kaaba. Does that mean that the, the rock is no longer significant? No, we, we don't look at it as a Qibla anymore. But they still consider it a Qibla. Can you see the difference here? They still look at it as a Qibla. We look at it as one of the rocks of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Like Saturday, we don't curse Saturday, do we? Saturday has not lost its merit. It's one of, the, one of Allah's days. It's one of Allah's days. But we're not going to celebrate on that day because it's not our Jumu'ah day. Do we understand? We're not going to say, oh, because this used to be one of the holy days in Allah's eyes before, let us consider it holy now as well. No, we will not look at it in terms of its holiness because of the Qibla status anymore. But we'll treat it as one of Allah's special days of the week because all of Allah's moments are special. But Friday's got its own unique specialness. So in the same way, the rock doesn't become devalued. It remains significant as Allah wants it to be significant. So it's a highest point in Masjid Al-Aqsa. It used to be the Qibla, it's not anymore. And number three, again here we say, most likely or probably Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam ascended to the heavens either from on the rock or from somewhere around the rock. We only say this because there are some hadith that indicate this. But he doesn't say very exactly clearly that he went from on top of the rock or next to the rock. There are some hadith that indicate this. So we, th we come to this conclusion, maybe he went from on top of the rock. Maybe he went from next to the rock. But that's about it. And we keep it to that. So this is uh, in regards to the rock and if it has any significance. According to the Jews, for example, they believe the rock is the holiest place in the whole world. They call it Holy of Holies, Qudsul Aqdas. They give the name Qudsul Aqdas, meaning the Holy of Holies. That is the holiest place for them in the whole world. Like we have the Kaaba. For us, the Kaaba is the holiest place in the whole world. We call it the center of the earth. So they believe that to be the center of the earth. They also believe Prophet Ibrahim salam tried to sacrifice his son, Prophet Ishaq salam on the rock. What do we Muslims believe? That Ibrahim salam tried to sacrifice Prophet Ismail salam in Makkah, in Mina. So this is what they believe that it happened over there. And it's also the direction of their prayer. Whereas for prayer, we no longer face towards that direction. Why? Because our Qibla is the Kaaba and it will remain the Kaaba until the end of times. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided. This week's campaign, very simple, very easy. Um, share this lesson with all your contacts. Very simple. This week's lesson, the campaign is share this lesson with all your contacts and also Bring them along to next week's campaign, inshallah. Something very easy we can all do. Alhamdulillah, we're coming, we're benefiting ourselves. Let's bring at least, imagine if everybody just put one, one person along. Next week, mashallah, Maulana Shafi's been working very hard in Erdington. There's been times here, there's been more people from Erdington than from here locally. Uh, and that's the mashallah, Maulana's efforts. 
Okay, and I can see some of you, some of the other brothers as well. We've been trying to bring other friends and family and other people along. And mashallah, we've got a number of sisters attending as well. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah, very encouraging to hear. May Allah accept, give you more barakah, and help us all, inshallah, uh, continue with life. So, inshallah, we'll conclude here. If we can uh, spend some time with Quran, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Hadith Qudsi, If you remember me, I will remember you. If you remember me in a gathering, I'll remember you in a more nobler gathering. And that is the gathering of the, the angels in the heavens. La ilaha illallah, 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 la Subhanallah, 
الله العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان 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 الله العظيم استغفر الله 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 الله والله 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 لا اله الا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ونبينا وشفيعنا وحبيبنا وسندنا ومولانا محمد مبارك وسلم يا ارحم الراحمين يا ارحم الراحمين يا ارحم الراحمين جزا الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو اهله ربنا ظلمنا انفسنا وان لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين او كايند اند لافينج الله او موست ميرسفول الله O most caring Allah, O most forgiving Allah, O the greatest Allah, O the all-knowing, O the all-seeing, O the all-hearing. Ya Allah, O Allah, forgive our sins. O Allah, you love to forgive sins, O Allah. You love to forgive sins, O Allah. You are the only one who can forgive, O Allah. You are the forgiver, O Allah. No one can forgive like you, O Allah. O Allah, we have wronged ourselves, O Allah. We have disobeyed your commands, O Allah. <coughs> We have broken many rules, O oh Allah. We are here to say sorry to you, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, forgive us, O oh Allah. Forgive us, O oh Allah. Grant us your maghfirah, O oh Allah. Grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. Make it easy for us to stay away from your disobedience, O oh Allah. Make the halal easy for us, O oh Allah. Make the halal appealing to us, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of halal, O oh Allah. Create the hatred of haram in our hearts, O oh Allah. Help us to stay away from your disobedience, O oh Allah. Make obedience easy for us, O oh Allah. Help us to enjoy obedience, O oh Allah. Grant us the sweetness of your name, O oh Allah. Grant us the sweetness of sujood, O oh Allah. Grant us the sweetness of speaking to you and having dialogue with you, O oh Allah. Grant us the sweetness of qiyam and tahajjud, O oh Allah. Grant us the sweetness in dhikr, O oh Allah. Grant us the sweetness in reciting Quran, O oh Allah. Make us closer to you, O oh Allah. Increase us in our love for you, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Increase us in his love, O oh Allah. Help us to increase in the love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O Allah, show us ways in which we can love him more, O Allah. Show us ways in which we can follow him even more, O Allah. O Allah, allow us and help us, O Allah, to revive his sunnah within our lives, O Allah. To revive his sunnah within our homes, O Allah. Help us to adorn our lives according to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O Allah, make his day our day, O Allah. Make his night our night, O Allah. Grant us a life of afiyah, O Allah. Grant afiyah to our parents, O Allah. Allah. Grant afiyah to all of us, O oh Allah. In everything we do, O oh Allah, have mercy on our parents, O oh Allah. Look
look after our parents, O oh Allah. Take good care of our parents, O oh Allah. Accept the good deeds of our parents, O oh Allah. Forgive our parents, O oh Allah. Those of our parents who have left the world, fill their graves with noor, O oh Allah. Elevate their status in the hereafter, O oh Allah. Grant them nothing but Jannatul Firdaus, O oh Allah. Unite us with them in the hereafter, O oh Allah. A time will come when we also have to leave the world. Make our last day our best day, O oh Allah. Make our final action our best action, O oh Allah. And grant us the kalima, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. O Allah, protect the sanctity of Haramain Sharifain and Masjidul Aqsa, O oh Allah. Protect them, O oh Allah. Protect the people who are protecting them, O oh Allah. You look after them, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you take care of them, O oh Allah. Help us to serve them, O oh Allah. Accept this get-together, O oh Allah. All the brothers and all the sisters who have got together, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you know their needs more than they, O oh Allah. You know our needs more than we do, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, accept all our permissible needs, O oh Allah. Fulfill everyone's permissible wishes, O oh Allah. Grant ease in the life of everybody, O oh Allah. Remove the difficulties and the obstacles, O oh Allah. Those who are going through any kind of difficulty, any kind of illness, any kind of problem, O oh Allah. Grant us a solution, O oh Allah. With afiyah, O oh Allah. With good health, O oh Allah. With wellness, O oh Allah. With your protection, O oh Allah. Under your mercy, O oh Allah. We are in need of your mercy. Shower us with your mercy, O oh Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Alhamdulillah.